Well, Evil Climbers, we are back again, and you're actually in luck this week. I think the are, Christopher, because we found, well, something interesting for this week that has just about everything. Yes, it does. So this week we are bringing to the main stage our new friend named Dean Quinn. Or as history calls him, the, the Candy, candy man. man. Oh, but this isn't just a story of a man luring kids into his van with candy. It's definitely not. It's so much worse. It is so, so yes. much worse. And since there's so much to cover this week, you know, unfortunately we're just going to have to dive right in. Just do it. Yeah. So... On that note, I'm Christopher Wilkes. I'm Dylan Malone, and this is Evil Crimes. Our story begins on Christmas Eve in 1939, when Dean is born into anything but a loving home. Yeah, see, his parents actually had a rocky relationship, go figure, and they actually divorced for the first time when he was just an infant. Yeah, the first time. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that. Because after, shortly after World War II ended, they actually remarried. And from what we found in research, Dean's father provided no positive influence on the family. It's been noted that he often regarded his children with thinly veiled distaste, and he would resort to harsh punishments for the smallest infractions. Yeah, well, now his parents actually divorced for a second time, which left Dean and his younger brother with their mother. She had to work numerous jobs to support the family on her own, which left the two brothers with sitters pretty much most of the time. Yeah, so Christopher, I think right now we can see that Dean doesn't have the best support system. Which is pretty much as in any case that we've ever researched. Like beating a broken record. <laughs> oh, I feel like we say it every single I know, week. But we're going to keep saying it. Yeah. So uh, rheumatic fever actually hits Dean at this point, which left him with a severe heart condition. And because of this condition, he was often absent from school and was never able to meet many friends. Right, and just so everyone listening is on the same page, because you know I do love me some, some, yep. some doctor stuff. So rheumatic fever is a complication from untreated strep throat. So this should be known if you get strep throat, you gotta have it treated. Get that thing treated. Because it can cause damage to body tissue by causing them to swell. And the greatest threat lies in the damage it can cause to your heart. And we all thank Dr. Wilkes. Anytime. Now, well since he was having some trouble making friends, he was welcoming the change that occurred when his mother remarried and actually moved the family to Texas. The good old Lone Star Estate. Absolutely. So at this point, the family soon finds their livelihood in a local candy business that they bought. And as a way to make friends, Dean would often sample the candy out to the other kids in the area. So, you know. Not a bad idea, not right? Not a bad idea. Yeah. So this takes us to 1964, and we're going to jump forward when Dean is 25 at this point. So despite his heart condition, he is drafted into the military as a radio repairman. And Christopher, what do we see happen at this point? See, it's at this point in his life that we see the first signs of homosexuality in Dean. Yes, homosexuality. He begins having urges to do things with other men. But he doesn't really know what to do with them. But it's important to note that his, his time in the military actually was cut short. So he applied for a hardship discharge, saying he needed to be home and help his family's business. Now, the Army did grant his request, and he actually was discharged in 1965. Mm-hmm. 
And it's noted at this time there's a sudden shift in his personality. It's documented that he became very hypersensitive and glum. Now, we have to remember that at this point he, he still didn't have a lot of friends. But somehow he does actually strike up a relationship with two teenage boys named David Brooks and Elmer Henley. They would pass out candy with Dean, and then they started hosting these, what they called, glue and paint sniffing parties. It's every teenager's party. I, like, maybe this is just, maybe I'm too young to understand this. Maybe this is just, like, a a 60s thing. But, uh, yeah, they have these paint sniffing parties at Dean's apartment in Pasadena, which is actually right outside of Houston. It is. And it's at this point that Dean begins showing some signs It'd be more a sadistic streak, and he would often be interested in bondage and the sexual interactions with these young men and boys. Yes, he did. But Dylan, let's give a little bit more of an insight into his relationship with these two boys, David and Elmer, before we go too much further. Good idea. So, David entered Dean's life when the uh, when groups of teenagers would hang out outside the candy shop. Well, David dropped out of high school at 15 and went to live with his mother in Beaumont. But whenever he came back to visit his father in Houston, he would often stay with Dean at his apartment. So now how old is Dean at this point? How old are these kids? So the research that we did showed that Dean right now is in his 20s. He's 25. Yeah. And David and Elmar are both in their mid-teens, like 15, 16. Okay. So yeah, this is where we can see actually a sexual relationship emerge between the two friends. It's noted that Dean would actually pay David to allow him to perform oral oral sex on him. A year later, David moved back to Houston, and he often referred to Dean's apartment as a second home. So I guess it does show that, like, there is a sexual relationship, Mm -hmm. but it seems like it's more so on Dean's side. side. Yeah, Yeah. it's not an actual consent. I mean, it's consensual, like but it's yeah, not... Yeah, but David's accepting money. Like, exactly. So It's not... Back to prostitution, yeah. our favorite stories. They're not in love. <laughs> no. All right, so then there's Elmer. And from what we found in research, Elmer was introduced to Dean through David. Now, Elmer had a hard life financially, and from what we can tell in their friendship, it was strictly money-based. And Dean would offer Elmer money to do certain things for him. But we don't want to go too fast. We're going to lead into this a little bit. Right. So actually, let's take a deeper dive into these parties that the three would host. Let's please do that. I'm very interested in these paint Let's Let's look at some glue and paint sniffing parties. Dylan will tell you, like, as we research this, literally the paint sniffing parties have been the most intriguing about this whole story. But we did not have one. (laughs) No, we did not have one. See, so we already discussed about these parties, but things took an interesting turn when David actually stumbled across Dean one night. Now, I assume that there was supposed to be a party or something like that, and David actually went to Dean's house. When when David actually went into the apartment one night, Dean is completely butt-ass naked, Mm -hmm. along with two other boys who were nude, and the two boys were strapped to a homemade torture rack. Let's let that kind of sink in for a second. Yeah. Because the point that really stands out to me is the homemade torture rack. Right. Like, I mean, it just, like, you walk in and, yeah. It's, oh, okay. This they is don't happening. sell those at Costco. No, they don't sell those at Costco. I mean, talk about, though, an awkward thing to stumble across. <sighs> no kidding, Dylan. Well, Dean, being embarrassed that David walked into this. Because you'd be embarrassed. Cause, yeah, because yes. obviously oh, you're, no. you're kind of the person that's embarrassed if you do that stuff. Um, he offers David a car in return for his silence on what he saw. Yeah. But it doesn't stop there. Oh, no. 
So Dean has an urge to continue doing these type of things to young boys. But now, as we already have said, he's in his mid-20s, but now he's on up to 33 at this point. Okay, so his connection to young boys isn't very strong. It's not, it's it's yeah. harder for him to like, you know. Just, just pick up talk these young to, Yeah, boys. exactly. Well, so then he did actually take to paying David and Elmer, yes, $200 for each boy that they would bring him. And that's just a little bit crazy. It's just, it's a little bit, it's like, oh, hey, I'll give you $200 your if, you bring, if you bring me a 13-year-old. Uh-huh. Yes. And we can't forget that David and Elmer are still teenagers themselves at this time. So Dean is probably thinking they will be able to find numerous people. So now, Dylan. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and go straight into what people want to hear, and that's the murders. Yeah, let's do it. And y'all, there are so many of them. It's noted that Dean killed around 28 young men and boys, and they all ranged from 13 to 20. And this took place over three years, from 1970 to 1973. That's crazy. Literally, three years. Three years. 28 people. 28 people, and all of them were basically kids. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy to think that the youngest one was 13. I just can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, so since there are so many victims, there's actually no way for us to cover them all there, there's in detail. Just, yeah, there's no way. But we do want to cover the most important gruesome details. Exactly. So most of the victims were somehow, as you probably could figure, tied to David and Elmer, either being friends with one of them or both of them, or just knowing them through mutual friends. Right. And most of Dean's victims came from a neighborhood in the area that was called Houston Heights, which was a low-income area. And because the area these boys were abducted in, the police often didn't even bother to investigate their missing because of the high numbers of adolescent runaways from that neighborhood. But Christopher, how did Dean actually lure these boys to come home with him? Yes, so most of the boys were actually lured with the promise of, of course, a party. party. Because if you, you know, want to lure a boy, just want to drink, there's a party. And they would agree to getting into Dean's car with the thought of going to one of these parties. And also, to go back to to the uh, the runaways, don't we feel like in every one of these, like, 60s, 70s, it's that was a running... Uh, thing that was that was yeah like police about. just didn't it's, look at certain situations because of the area they were from yeah a lot of people run away they're just gone they probably so, just left yeah and after researching too you realize there are a lot of runaways that that ended up being you know murder victims of not just obviously dean but of so many others so I mean, many that people. are unsolved out there so uh, it's just crazy it's just sad okay so, once these kids actually arrived at Dean's apartment, they would be given enormous amounts of alcohol and drugs, and most of them would wind up passing out from overconsumption. Yes, but before they'd pass out, Dean would either trick them or use force to handcuff their hands, and then he would also tie them to a plywood torture board that we were talking about earlier. Yep, and so this is where Dean would strip them naked, and he would usually sexually assault them. He would then take to torturing them, and some of the people that we researched, he would torture for several days, and then most of them would wind up um, dying either from strangulation, or Dean would wind up shooting them with his twenty-two caliber pistol. Yes. Now comes the time he's got to get rid of the bodies. Mm -hmm. So he actually had four different areas that he would get rid of the bodies. So he would tie their bodies in plastic sheeting, and he would either bury them at either a boat shed he rented, a beach in the Boulevard Peninsula, a woodland area near Lake Sam Rayburn, or a beach right outside of Jefferson County. He had options. 
Yeah. Yep. And David and Elmer actively participated in these abductions, but they would also just bring boys to Dean on their own accord. They wouldn't wait for Dean to actually ask for them. Yeah, because we have to remember, they're getting $200 for every boy they bring him. So at a young age, they're just thinking... They're like, hey, money, money, money. Yeah. Well, Elmer eventually took to not just bringing the boys, but he also started participating in the murders as well. Yeah, and this this is very disturbing, because in our research, we found that some of these boys knew David and Elmer, and they actually trusted them. One of the murders that took place was two boys named Billy and Johnny, who knew Elmer. After Dean has tortured and raped the two boys, Elmer then took to strangling Johnny, and in the confession that took place when all was said and done, Elmer actually noted that Johnny pleaded with him to stop. And sadly, it never stopped. Most of these boys were brought to Dean, all died. Yeah. So now there was one incident that did occur with a 19-year-old named Billy. Billy was tied to the plywood torture board and abused by Dean. Later that evening, David did persuade Dean to let Billy go, and Billy was released. Now, this then caused some backlash from Dean, though. It sure did, because he did not like that. So, after this incident, um, it was noted that Dean, David, and Elmer were all at the apartment together. And so, Elmer finds a way to knock David unconscious, and then Dean ties him to his bed and repeatedly beat him and assaulted him before letting him free. Yeah, and despite this occurrence, David continued to assist Dean in these abductions. I mean, I would say it's probably out of fear that he's going to be killed himself, but I guess we don't know. So these murders continue until 1973, and this actually brings us to the last party Dean would ever throw at his apartment. Yes. See, on the evening of August 7th, 1973, Elmer invited a 19-year-old named Timothy to attend a party at Dean's apartment. Timothy accepted the offer and arrived to Dean's apartment with Elmer. Elmer knew at this point that Dean wanted Timothy to be his next victim. Now, David was not present at this time. From everything we've read, he was not a part of the events that took place. So, the three took to drinking and sniffing paint fumes for a while. Again. Because that's what we do. we do. Well, around midnight, Elmer and Timothy left the house to buy some food. And Elmer and Timothy then drove back to Houston Heights and parked Timothy's car near Elmer's home. Yes. Now, Elmer then walked over to a 15-year-old friend's house named Rhonda Williams. Now, he had heard that her father had been drunk and was beating her that evening. So he invited Rhonda to return to Dean's house with him and Timothy so that she could stay away from her father that night. I mean, let's. I guess we should pause. Yes. Okay. So I, the listener should know. I've known you for about a year and a half now. Yes. If you lived in a place or you knew of a place like Dean's, and you invited me back over to just stay the night because you knew I was having a rough night, and I went back to that crap. Yes. Oh my lord. Yes. I think it's. How do you do that to I, your friend? Exactly. Not only that, but so you're worried about the dad beating the girl. But you yourself are killing young boys. Young boys. And then you're going to bring her back to the house where you probably know something bad's going to happen. Right. It's it's so strange. I don't know what to uh, say. Teenagers. Teenagers. Well, so, Williams accepted the offer, and the three teenagers drove back to Dean's apartment in Timothy's car. Yes. Now, when they arrive back in the apartment, it's approximately 3 a.m. And as we probably all kind of figured by this point... Dean likes boys. He mm-hmm. don't like no girls. So Dean is 
furious with Elmer because he brought a girl back with him. Right. He had absolutely nothing he wanted to do with a girl. <laughs> no, he didn't. Did not. So, Dylan, what happens next? Well, so it's noted that Dean pulled Elmer aside at some point that night, we can assume right after they got there, and told him that he had absolutely ruined everything. So Elmer tried to explain himself and say that Rhonda had been beaten by her father and, he, and she couldn't return home. Well, we can guess that it, you know this explanation allowed Dean to calm down for a bit. So then, he offers the three teenagers some beer and marijuana, and he takes the sitting and watching them get drunk and high. So after about two hours, the three teenagers pass out. So now it's like five in the morning. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's getting up there. Uh, but now this is where things actually do escalate. They do escalate. So Elmer wakes up and finds Dean actually handcuffing him and he notices his ankles have already been bound together. He then notices that Timothy and Rhonda have both been bound with nylon rope, and they were both gagged with adhesive tape and were lying face down on the floor. And yes, you guessed it, Timothy had been stripped naked. Yeah, see, at this point, Dean begins telling Elmer that he's furious he brought a girl back to his apartment. He then tells Elmer that he is now going to kill all three of them after he tortures Timothy, the one he actually wanted. He then drags Elmer to the kitchen and places a 22 caliber pistol against his stomach, threatening to shoot him. Well, Elmer is able to calm Dean down, though, by telling him that he will participate in the torture and murder if Dean just lets him go. So Dean agrees to this and unties Elmer. And then he carries Timothy and Rhonda into his bedroom, and he tied them to opposite sides of his torture board. He placed Timothy on his stomach and Rhonda on her back. Now, Dean then gives Elmer a hunting knife and tells him to cut away at Rhonda's clothes. He instructs Elmer to rape and kill Rhonda while he does the same thing to Timothy. Yeah, and while Dean strips down naked and begins assaulting and torturing Timothy, Elmer then begins cutting off Rhonda's clothes. Dean is naked most of the time. I don't think he ever wears clothes. Oh my gosh, at this point, both Timothy and Rhonda had woken up. Timothy immediately begins shouting and writhing around while Dean tortures him. Rhonda, who had her gag removed by Elmer, asks Elmer, is this for real? Elmer simply responds with yes. So we can speculate that something Rhonda says to Elmer triggers his desire to make this whole thing stop. Because the next thing we found in research was that he asked Dean if he could take Rhonda into the other room to finish out the torture on her. We can guess to let her go. And Dean ignores him, which doesn't sit well with Elmer. No, it doesn't. See, now, Elmer notices that Dean is away from his pistol at this point, and so he grabs the pistol and points it at him, shouting, You've gone far enough, Dean. So now, Dean does not like this, and he begins advancing on Elmer, shouting back at him, Kill me, Elmer. You won't do it. Oh, but Elmer actually does do Mm -hmm. it. He fires and hits Dean straight in the forehead. He then fires two more shots, hitting him in the left shoulder. Dean spun around with those two shots and fell out into the hallway. Elmer fired three more shots into Dean's lower back as Dean slid down the wall, naked and dying. While Elmer then releases Timothy and Rhonda, and the three teenagers get dressed. So Elmer initially instructs Timothy and Rhonda to just go ahead and leave the house. Just forget the whole thing happened. Exactly. So they're outside, and they're pretty much saying, okay, we're just going to run away. Yeah. Timothy, though, very smartly is like, no, we're not going to go anywhere. Like, 
this is what happened and we were you know trying this is not to normal right we we're trying to save ourselves you know from yeah. this now obviously Timothy has no clue that Elmer is actually connected to this not no so it goes to show like Timothy thinks that all of this is just, just spur the moment spur the moment yeah. this happened this one time so of course you know that's what he wants he wants to call the police yes so Elmer takes Timothy's advice, and he calls the Pasadena Police Department at 824 the morning of August 8, 1973. So the call was taken by an operator named Velma Lines, and for your listening pleasure, we're going to do a reenactment of that call. Everyone loves a good reenactment. Everyone loves call. a good reenactment. <laughs> Pasadena Police, this is Velma. How may I assist you? Yeah, y'all better come right now. I just killed a man. You killed a man? Yeah, uh, he, he was attacking us. Yeah, y'all better come right now. Okay, what is your location? Yeah, we're at 2020 Lamar Drive. Okay, now tell me your name. Uh, my name is Elmer Henley. Okay, how old are you, Elmer? I'm 17. Okay, and is this victim still breathing? No, no, I, I shot him. He's dead. How many times did you shoot him? Well, I mean, uh, enough to kill him. I need to know how many times. Uh, I don't know, like, like eight? Okay, is anyone else injured? Uh, no, no, we're all safe. All right, Elmer, please go wait outside for the patrol. They're on the way. All right. So, yeah, so Velma did a great job of trying to keep him calm. I think right? she kept him calm yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Props to Velma. Props to Velma. So, as the three teenagers are actually waiting for the police outside, Elmer actually does admit to Timothy that he had killed before. Yes, he was kind of doing some unraveling right now. And so, another statement given by Timothy to detectives was that before they arrived on the scene, Elmer had made the comment to him that he could have gotten $200 for him. I mean, Dylan, that's that's pretty pretty crazy. A little cry cry. Yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of Dean crazy. But yeah, so Dylan, what did the police find when they did enter Dean's home? Well, it's more like what did they not find? Because they found so many things Dean used in these murders. So they found the plywood torture boards that we've talked about. They measured seven by three feet with handcuffs on each corner. They found numerous hunting knives, a number of dildos, these little glass tube things that we can assume were drug related, and then links of rope. But... That was just inside the house. Exactly, Dylan. So, because they also went through his van, they actually found so much in there. So, inside the van, they actually found a coil of rope, a beige rug that was covered in soil stains, and a wooden crate with air holes drilled into the sides of it. The walls of the rear of the van were also pegged with several rings and hooks, so I can only imagine they were used to bind bind someone. Out in the backyard, though, they also found another crate that was similar similar to the one in the van with several strands of human hair connected to it. Yeah, man. So at this point, the police have a dead Dean, and now they have Elmer openly admitting that he and David actively participated in the abductions and murders of 28 young boys. Yeah, and here we go back with some crazy uh, police work. The, mm-hmm. the police actually, to be honest with everyone, didn't believe them. Can first. you believe that? Yeah. Uh, but it's not until Elmer actually gives the names of three recently missing boys that the police even start placing credibility towards his confession. Yeah, so at this point, Elmer, uh, you know, like a, like a good uh, partner, actually throws David straight under that bus and it runs him right over. Mm-hmm. So he brings up his name to police 
And they also say, you know, he also admits to him that he was the accomplice of Dean as well. Right. But so on the evening of August 8th, 1973, we get a little bit from David. So he goes to the Houston police station and gives a statement. He actually denied his participation in the murders at all. But he does admit to having known that Dean raped and murdered two youths in 1970. Sorry, David, but there is no going back now. Like, you're just going to have to give it all up. Just going to have to go with it, but he's going to stay out of it as long as possible. Well, Dylan, it actually doesn't take long. It never does. All right, so on August 13th, the grand jury does hear witness testimonies from Timothy, Rhonda, and Billy. Now, Billy, remember, was the boy who David persuaded Dean to let go. Right. He was kind of like the only living victim. Yes. So after they hear six hours worth of testimonies, they initially indicted Elmar on three murder charges and David on one. But by the end of the grand jury's investigation, Elmer was indicted on six murders and David on three. Yeah. Now, Elmer's trial was a lengthy one. But we have to remember, he was in deeper with Dean than David was. In the end, Elmer was sentenced to six consecutive 99-year terms. And if you're not a math major, that is 594 years for each of the murders he was charged. Now, this doesn't stop Elmer from appealing his conviction. Oh no, he appealed it, saying the jury in his trial was not sequestered. Now, his appeal was upheld, and he was granted a retrial in 1978. I, I can't believe he was going to retrial. It's, yeah. Yeah. But this retrial doesn't do much for him. So after the retrial, he was again convicted of six, six murders and again sentenced to six consecutive 99-year terms. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we can say at least he tried. Right. We can give him that. So David's trial, on the other hand, lasted less than a week. The jury deliberated for less than 90 minutes, and he was sentenced to life in prison. And it's noted that he showed no signs of emotion as the sentence was passed, but his wife burst out in tears. Hold up, Dylan. Did you mm-hmm. just say what I think you said? You heard me right. Wait, David was married? He was married, Christopher, what? and he hid all of this from her. And she had no idea these abductions and murders happened until the trials began. So as we've learned in our other cases, like these poor wives, like, <laughs> they just never, they never know. know. They're married to these people and God, they have no idea. Poor woman. Poor woman. So we actually found out that in 2006, both Elmer and David were already in their 40s, and they're actually still behind bars. Yep. And a fun fact about Elmer, though, is he took up painting while in prison, and there was a small public outcry when he auctioned some of his paintings on eBay. Yeah, but don't worry, Evil Crimers, we will have pictures of these paintings up on our social media so you can actually see Just them for, you. for yourself. But that begs the question, right, Dylan? I mean... It's, it's hard to believe that these two youth... I mean, they were, what, 14 or 15 whenever they started. Right. They were out. just kids. Yeah, they were just kids. But yeah. you know, it kind of shows you the judicial system and how it works. I mean, we've seen cases where... I mean, there were murderers that did... I mean, they weren't accomplices. They were, like, literally doing the murders right. and are getting off... You know, with, with who was it? Was it Ed that got off with like some some like rehab, basically? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like and then you have Gertrude who you know did all those heinous things, you know, to Sylvia, and and still you know got yeah uh, pretty free. So I mean, it does obviously not condoning their Murder actions, but you know, they did. I think it is one of those things when you're young. I mean. You are so impressionable, mm-hmm. and, and knowing their home lives, I'm sure they weren't good and things like that. They were good, like and like we've seen, their families weren't financially stable. They were getting paid to do this, so. Right. Well, and also, just, the biggest thing is, 
the person who you know orchestrated all this. I mean, he gets off pretty much scot free because he he's just dead. Dies. You know, yeah. and so and without the help of them, I, I who all these kids would have gone. You know, the families would have gone without knowing exactly. Yeah, because we kind of forgot to mention, but Elmer, when he was found and he confessed to everything, he actually led the police to find the majority of the bodies that were buried. Yeah, so he actually knew. I mean, obviously, the police work was good, but, I mean, he knew where these four areas were. because he actively helped bury them. Yeah, that Dean had. So, I mean, a lot of mind control, a lot of... This is a lot of... This is like a psychologist, like, you know... Dream. Dream. Yeah, <laughs> dream case to kind of get in their minds and figure out how did it go so bad for them. But, Ugh. you know, it's 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 one of those cases that's always very interesting. And and it's also the first sign that we actually hear about this so-called, like, Candyman. So if you're wondering, like, this is kind of like where it started, the whole, yeah. like, urban legend. You know, it wasn't just this movie and stuff like that. Some this is nice little song that got played. Exactly. So this is actually... It was the, a creepy man that sold candy. Yeah the story that will that will live on but you know until next time evil crimers i'm christopher wilkes i'm dylan malone and this is evil crimes